Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke. I invite you to turn over there with me now. In Luke chapter 20, we're going to read verses 27 through 40. Let's go to God's word together. Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are the children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law respond, Well said, teacher, and no one dared ask asked him any more questions. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you're seated today, just a quick note, we do not have Kingdom Kids so that our Kingdom Kids workers can sit with their families for our Easter Sunday. And so if you need any folders for kiddos, we do have some activity folders for them on the table in the back over here where the lamp is. So feel free to go grab one of those and uh, that'll help kids maybe stay tuned in a little bit here. Uh, but this is probably what I've just read for you is probably not the most traditional scripture passage for Easter Sunday, uh, though it most certainly is centered on the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about. But it is part of our Bible reading plan. You actually if you're on our annual Bible reading plan, you read about this passage this previous week. And so I wanted to, if at all possible, stay in line with our scripture reading plan. And God opened a door for us to do that by taking a look at this passage, which I think has some really important stuff in here for us today. And so we just want to pause and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Would you pray with me? Father God, we gather on this Lord's Day to celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And God, I pray that we would be able through your Holy Spirit and through your word understand what this means for us, for those we care about, for the world as a whole, that this moment in history has changed everything. We want it to be a reality in our lives that it might change us too. So Father, we pray that your spirit would speak to us, that our minds would be attentive to what you have to say. That our hearts will be receptive to the message you want us to take in. And that our hands and feet will be prepared to take what you show us today and live it out. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Well, as we've been seeing through the life of Jesus, he was an incredible person, but he was not without his enemies. There were people who wanted to tear him down, who thought that he was not the Messiah, the chosen one of God, come into the world to save the world. There were those who did not believe that and saw him as someone who was almost like a false prophet. And so what do you do with that person? Well, they tried to discredit him. And the way they tried to discredit him is, is he set himself up as a teacher or as a rabbi. And, and so he was one of the most powerful teachers in, of, of his time. People were just amazed at how he was able to unfold God's word. And so they asked him questions about God's word. That was their tactic. And there were different groups in Jesus' day that believed different things, but they were all within Judaism. And, and one group, the Pharisees, had tried to question him and trip him up, and that didn't work. And so now the Sadducees tried the same thing. Now, we've already entered into the last week of Jesus' life. He, he has come into Jerusalem for Passover, and, and, and so he is surrounded by Sadducees because they were the religious group of the Jews that kind of ran the show in Jerusalem. They were the ones that were involved in the higher up and the temple worship and all that kind of stuff. And so they were, they were the important people on the ground in Jerusalem. And so these Sadducees come to Jesus with a technical question. Now, something you need to know about the Sadducees is, one, they did not take the whole Old Testament as God's word. They just took the first five books of the Old Testament, sometimes called the Pentateuch. And so in the Pentateuch, if it didn't, if it didn't mention something, if it didn't talk about something, they didn't believe it. They didn't agree with it. And one of the things you might not find, in the, or at least not obvious, in the first five books of the Old Testament is talk about resurrection. Now, you'll find it later on in books like the Psalms and in, and in Daniel. You'll find clear, clear uh, information and, uh, about resurrection, but not in the first five books. It's not quite as clear. And so because they embrace only the first five books, they did not believe in resurrection or life after death. And so that's their question. They take what they saw as kind of a ridiculous thing, resurrection, and they try to trip Jesus up with it by talking about what was called a Leverite marriage. Now, what is that? Now, that, that was something you would do to kind of carry on a family lineage. If you died and you didn't have children, then it was expected that someone in your family, like a brother, would come along and marry your, uh, your, your wife that you left behind so that you can carry on the family name. And that's how they kind of kept everything together. I know that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, a long time ago. It's a little bit different for us today to think about that. But that was, that was the, their law. That was a way of keeping things together and moving forward and progressing as a people. And so this is what they try to use to trip Jesus up by asking him, you know, imagine this strange scenario where you have a lady who's married and doesn't have children. So she marries the next brother and the next brother. And eventually she dies. She doesn't have children. Doesn't it seem silly that resurrection uh, could happen? Because look at this situation. They're trying to discredit the whole idea of resurrection while at the same, same time trying to discredit Jesus. And so they put this question to Jesus. And Jesus, uh, in this story is actually told in Matthew and Mark as well. And those, he's a little bit more pointed about what he has to say because he, he says, you neither know the scriptures nor do you know the power of God. That's how he begins his answer. It softens a little bit in Luke. But before we take a look at what he actually says about life after death and resurrection, I just want to pause and just say for a moment here, how does this, any of this apply in our lives? Where are we going with this? Well, as many of you know, even in the life of our church, we've experienced quite a bit of loss this week. 
We, we've had three family members uh, of our church lose someone close to them that they loved. Uh, the Belky and the Fudges in particular who are here with us, as well as the Falk family. And, and the question comes to mind, where are those people that they loved that trusted in Jesus? Where are they? Where are the people that you love that have passed on from this life? Where are they? What's happened to them? Maybe that's not something you think about much, but maybe you think about your own passing. One day you and I, we will die. What will that day be like? What can we expect in life after death? See, this is a question that people have been thinking about ever since the beginning of the world. When God created the world and man introduced sin into the world and the result of sin is death, we've been wondering. We've been wanting to know, needing to know what takes place after this life. What should we expect? What can we hope in? And of course, the Bible directs the answers to those questions. And today we want to look at what Jesus has to say. How does he answer these questions? Well, what he says that, the, that I think is the central part of this whole passage is in verse 38. He says, God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all are alive. To us, someone passes from this life to the next, and they are gone. And that's what we mourn, is their loss, and we are no longer with them. And they are no longer with us. That's what we, that's what we are grieving over, is that loss. But to God, whether we're here in this world, or we pass on from life on earth, all are living to him. Everyone is alive to him. Now, how we understand what this means, what is Jesus actually saying, how we understand this statement of Jesus in verse 38 of Luke chapter 20, and what the implications of what he says, how, how that applies and impacts our lives, makes all the difference in how we face death and how we live life. How we understand this statement of Jesus, for unto God... They are all alive. How we understand what Jesus says here makes all the difference in how we face death and how we live life. The first thing we see, verse 36, is that though we go through a physical death, the soul lives on. Jesus says they can no longer die for they are like the angels. Now, when someone dies, they don't become an angel. I know that some people think that. That's not biblical. You won't find that in the Bible. What Jesus is saying, he's not saying when you die or someone you love dies, they become an angel. He's saying when you die, you become like an angel in that you cannot die again. And here he's talking specifically about a physical death. Now, what that tells us is that every person in this room, every person you meet will live for an eternity. Everyone. The people we ignore, the people we walk by and never even see, the people that annoy us, the people that bother us, all of those people. Every soul that God has created is a soul that he intended to live from the moment of conception through the rest of eternity. Every person. That was God's good design, and it still is. However, when Christ returns, that soul that is without a body will be rejoined with a body. This is something that the scripture teaches specifically in 1 Corinthians 15. There, that 1 Corinthians 15 is a letter written by a guy named Paul, and he wrote to a church in a place called Corinth. Actually, he wrote several letters. 
We have two of them, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And what Paul says here is that when someone dies, essentially their soul goes to be with God. And wherever God is, we call that heaven. So we can say that soul goes to be with God in heaven. But that soul that is in heaven is what he would call unclothed. In other words, they don't have a body. They are a soul without a body. The body remains in the ground. The soul is with God. But that's not the end of the story. Just as Jesus died and his body was in the grave, when Jesus was resurrected, his soul was reunited with his body and his body is transformed, fit to last forever. These bodies aren't meant to last forever. Now, original design, yes, but because of sin, no, right? These bodies aren't going to last forever. If Christ doesn't come back in our lifetime, we will pass on from this life to the next. These bodies will perish. These bodies are not ready to last forever. But Paul says there will come a day when Jesus comes again. And when he comes again, our soul will be reunited with our body, but our body will be transformed. It will be fit for heaven. It will be made to last forever. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Uh, sometimes in a church nursery, you'll see this verse over the changing table. It says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Sometimes that's true, right? Now that's, what, that's not what he's talking about. You know that. That's not what he's talking about. He says, in a flash and in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. In other words, when Christ returns. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. In, in, in other words, it cannot perish, cannot fade away. And we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will be true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. When Christ comes again, it is the final victory over death. Because the body will be raised, it will be transformed, and it will be fit for heaven, made to last from that moment till the end of eternity. And of course, eternity, there is no end. That's hard for us to comprehend, but this is what Scripture is teaching us, that every person that you have ever met, including yourself, your soul will last forever. And eventually after death, that soul that you have will be reunited with a body fit and transformed to last forever. Now, I've been saying something that maybe you are asking a question. Is it really everybody? Will everybody go through this process? And the scriptures teach us that yes, everybody will be resurrected. Not just the Christian. But the non-Christian, not just the believer, but the unbeliever, will also be resurrected. Jesus taught this himself. He said in John chapter 5, verse 28, he says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when those who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Now, what is he talking about? He is saying there will come a time where people hear my voice when I come back, and they will come out of the grave. That's what he's saying. But listen to what he says next. He says, those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So what Jesus and the Bible teaches us as a whole 
is that every single soul God has made to last in eternity. And every soul, when, he, when Jesus returns, will be reunited with their body, and that body will be fit and made to last forever. But I think it's important to point something out. In, John, in uh, Luke chapter 20, Jesus is talking about a specific uh, side of this resurrection life. That there are two sides to the resurrection life. Those who will be resurrected and be in the presence of God forever. And in other words, what Jesus said, those who have done what is good will rise to live. But then there's the other side of it. Those who will rise to live forever, who have done what is evil, the scripture says, will rise to be condemned. So either way, there will be a physical eternity for every single person at the return of Christ. Some to be in the presence of God forever, and some to be outside of the presence of God forever. And what Jesus is, is telling us here is he's telling us about that side of things that is with God in heaven forever. That's what he's pointing out when he's talking about the resurrected life, when he talks about those who are worthy of it. When, when he talks about being the children of resurrection, he's talking specifically about those who have trusted in Jesus, that their eternity may be with God in heaven instead of an eternity spent outside of the presence of God in hell. This is the picture Jesus and the Bible paint for us. This is eternal life. To get this understanding of what the scriptures teach and what Jesus is telling us, helps us to understand what happens when life on this earth is over. And it also helps us to understand how then should we live if this is true. Because if this is true, what do we want? Well, we want to be children of the resurrection. We want to be, in the words of Jesus, the children of God. We want to be in that camp that is not only experiencing a physical resurrection, a uniting of the soul with a body fit for eternity, but we want that eternity to be spent with God in heaven forever. That's what we want. That's what we desire. We want to be those children of the resurrection, those children of God. How can we know that? Because that's got to be one of, if not the biggest questions we could possibly ask ourselves is, how do I know where I will go when I die? And we can, we can get through a day, we can get through a week, we can get through a month, we can get through years and not think about that. But is that not the most fundamental question you and I can think about? Because it's, it's an eternal question. Think about all the other things we think about, all the other things we worry about, all the other things we try to figure out and plan for and worry over. All of that stuff, more or less, is probably pretty temporary. Even if it lasts our lifetime, at death, we're going to leave behind a lot of problems that we never solved, but we worried a lot about. But this question is not a temporary question. This question is an eternal question. What will happen to you when you die? We have to ask it. And Jesus gives us the answer. You want to be children of God. That when you and I pass from this life to the next, and when Christ returns, we can trust that we are in the presence of God. Now that's a hard thing, I think, sometimes to think about. I understand. It can be even a hard thing to try to answer. 
Because what Jesus says essentially is if you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you don't, right? That's what he's saying. I don't think that's all he's saying. I think there is a fuller understanding in Scripture that has to be added to his words in John chapter 5. A full understanding that if those who do good, do good on what basis? From what platform? From what position are they doing good? And the full teaching of Scripture is that in the eyes of God, what is good is to believe in his son Jesus. That is what is good. That is the ultimate good, is to believe in Christ. That is the starting place for all other good things we might do. It begins with that understanding of who Jesus is and a trust and a faith in him. That we go to Jesus essentially as an older brother and we say, older brother, you've been perfect. You've done everything right. You're wonderful. The father sees you as sinless because you are. I want in on the family inheritance. I, I want to be a part of what the Father has planned for an eternity. Can you vouch for me? Can you go to the Father and get me in? Could you talk to him? I know I've blown it. I know I made a lot of mistakes. I know my sin. And I know I've got sin I don't know about. But could you go to the Father and just, and just ask him that because he loves you so much that he might accept me? And if we do that, the Father does accept us. God the Father does look at us as the way he looks at his son Jesus and says, I welcome you into this family. Your eternity is now with me. This is the beginning place of all good things we do thereafter. It begins with that moment where we cast ourselves on the mercy of God, seek the grace of God found in Jesus that we might be made, as Jesus said in Luke 20, Children of God. It's spelled out more clearly even in Romans 8. There, we there in Romans 8 and verse 14 we read, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. You see what's happening here? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and I, drawing us to Jesus that we might be adopted into sonship. And that is a technical term because the son gets the full inheritance of the father. And that is open to all his children. Daughter or son gets in on this full inheritance that the scriptures talk about in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, this is the spirit that, the, that draws us to and brings us into this adoption into the family of God. And by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit is testifying with our spirit that we are God's children. And so we fit into the category Jesus is talking about in Luke 20. The children of God who are the children of the resurrection. The resurrection that is resurrection into eternal life with God. Instead of eternal life away from God. Eternal life with God in heaven. Instead of eternal life away from God in hell. And how we get adopted in is we come to Jesus. We ask Jesus to go to the Father and vouch for us. And you know what Jesus does in that conversation with the Father? He says, I want you to take all their mistakes. And I want you to put them on me. I will take the responsibility 
for every way in which they have failed you. And Father, I want you to take my perfect record, all the things I've done right. I want you to take all the things that I have done, all my righteousness, in other words, and I want you to rest that righteousness on them. This is the great reversal that happens when we come to Jesus. And this is our hope in life and death. This is how we know that eternity with God in heaven is ours. Because, see, it's not on that record, on our record. It's not on us. It's not on what we've done. Because if it were, we would always be wondering, wouldn't we? Well, I had a good day today. I must be getting into heaven. Or I had a bad day today. I must not be getting into heaven, right? Like, it would just shift and change even within the hour. But that's not how we get in. We get in on the basis of what Jesus has done. And that's how we can know, without doubt, without fear, that when I pass from this life to the next, I will be in the presence of God in heaven. And one day when my body is reunited with my soul, fit for an eternity, that eternity be, will be with God in his presence. I can know this, I can trust this, because it's not about what I have done or haven't done. It is solely about what Jesus has done for me. And I trust him to vouch for me before the Father. And once we do that, as I said, it helps us to face death, to face the reality of what is to come. Because we know in Jesus, when he is resurrected, what is he proving to the world? That he is king over death. That he has conquered even the most fearful thing that we can imagine, which is loss. Our loss, the loss of someone we care or love. That is the greatest fear I think any of us could have. And Jesus, by rising from the dead, he is saying, I beat death. So in me, you now have nothing to fear. Now that doesn't mean we don't have anything to grieve. That's, that's a different thing. But the scriptures say, but we grieve as those who have hope. But do you have that hope? Do you know that you have that hope? Do you know for certain that if you were to die today, where your soul would go until it's reunited with your physical body at the resurrection when Christ returns? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt? And I want to tell you what the Bible says. It says you can know. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can know. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. All you have to do is go to that big brother Jesus and ask him to vouch for you. And he does. He will not turn you down. But what about those that you care about? This is why we are to be a a living, breathing testimony to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that others might see in us the hope that we have. It might do us some good to think about that hope that we have because life is hard, is it not? Life is difficult. Life is challenging. It can beat you up. How do you continue in that hope? Sometimes you just got to think about, you know what, one day God's going to make all this worth it. One day. God's going to make all this right. I don't know how. I don't have the specifics. I just have the promise. And that's enough. God's working this out. He's got a perfect plan. I trust him to bring about that plan. And let that living hope that we sang about 
just come through your life that others might see and hear. That the Jesus who died has rose again and you and, I, you and I, we have hope for eternity. Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us that even in our sin you have found a way for us to have that hope. That the end of this life is not the end. God, help us to cling to that hope in moments that are difficult, that we find to be so challenging, that maybe even test our faith. Help us cling to this hope. You have provided for us a way and a future in Jesus. And Father, I pray for those who do not yet know that hope, but desire it, that your spirit is working in them drawing them to Jesus. That they may have a confidence that perhaps they have never experienced before. Though no matter what they face in this life, they know what is to come in the life eternal. And that hope would just blossom into joy in their life and just overflow. Father, thank you for the beauty of Jesus. His life, his death, and his resurrection. Help us to live resurrection stories that others may know what we know. Others may be where one day we will be in your very presence. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.